Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook and whatever other platform you may be on. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. And if you haven't yet given us a five-star review, pause what you're doing right now and go and give us a five-star rating and review. Unless you're driving or unicycling or any other moderately dangerous activity, in which case, wait until you are done with said activity. Follow us on Twitter at at clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. And if you notice that our Facebook group is rather dormant, you need to ask to join the discussion group because that's where the action is. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician. And this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. And in addition to Chris, we have, for the second time, my good friend, Father Andrew DeFusco. Andrew, how are you? I am also doing, doing great. I'm not unicycling, but I'm <laughs> having a good time nonetheless. Christopher and I recently had someone enter our life, the most improbable person that you would think, He's got a handful of physical issues. He's in his late 50s, early 60s. But if you talk to him for about 10 minutes, you discover that he's an avid unicycler. <laughs> so shout out to you, Tim, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> you keep on unicycling, buddy. <laughs> Christopher, the listener can't see what's on your face, but you look dapper and handsome with this new addition. What is on your face? This is my first day of, of wearing spectacles. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like I wanted to add a little bit of gravitas to my whole uh, preaching thing. And so uh, I've always <laughs> noticed on television that when someone makes a big point, they take off their glasses. So kind of at, at the apex of my sermon, when I really want to drive a point home, I'm going to remove my glasses and, and lower my voice a little bit and make everyone just lean forward just a little bit and, and just bring her home. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just getting used to them, uh, and, and I got them uh, at the place I get almost everything. I got them at Costco, so I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty pleased by that. Uh, I'm a Costco devotee. Uh, I, I had an inter interesting day, Kirk and Andrew. I almost hit a turkey. Cool. Those glasses are not working. <laughs> with, my, with my bike. Oh. So... Uh, Listeners will know that I purchased myself a, a road bike, something I had wanted for a very long time uh, to kind of do some low impact cardio. Uh, it's been a wonderful addition to my life. Uh, and it's, I don't know what I'm going to do once, once ice and snow comes because, you know, finally I'm in good shape. It feels good. I remember my first month or two of, of biking, I would get home <laughs> after biking and I would have to wait uh, 
about 20 minutes before I would go downstairs uh, because when I would try to descend steps, my legs were so sore and tired <laughs> that my whole my, my legs threatened to give out from underneath of me. So I had to be very careful when I was going up. Like, uh, but now I'm in shape and uh, I feel slightly better now after bike rides and uh, I'm going to probably lose shape uh, here in, in December, January, and February. So that's kind of a bummer. But anyway, today I was, I was out uh, on my regular bike, uh, uh, bike route uh, doing our, um, our bike loop here in town, and there were some wild turkeys on the trail. And I, uh, there was one on one side and three on the other. So, uh, but there was plenty of space for me to go in between them. But as I went to go in between them... <laughs> One, much like a squirrel darts across <laughs> the road or a deer, uh, a turkey. Uh, I mean, it was, it, was, it was close to a collision. And I don't know, uh, I'd imagine it would probably would have been just as bad for me as it would have been for the, for the turkey. How would you grade your evasive maneuvers? Well, you know, I haven't had to, to use evasive maneuvers all that often, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I would say untested at this point. Okay. I, one of my favorite parts of Star Trek, which I love and I, um, I fall into the, uh, what is it? Suspension of disbelief. You're everything the original that, series, right? You haven't watched anything beyond that. Right? I, I'm watching uh, Discovery. Okay. All right. Uh, and I watched uh, um, uh, Picard. Um, but, but one of the things that temporarily snaps, breaks my uh, momentary suspension of disbelief is when uh, the captain will shout out, evasive maneuvers! <laughs> like that'll make you avoid the missiles. I guess it's like permission <laughs> for the navigator to just try to avoid like torpedoes or photons so or something. Navigator would be like, uh, stay on course. I can see there's a collision coming. <laughs> I haven't heard, I haven't gotten permission yet. Um, this could be bad, but you know, there is a chain of command for a reason. That's right. That's right. He hasn't, he hasn't told me evasive maneuvers yet. Andrew, how are you? Have you had to engage in evasive maneuvers recently? Recently? I, so I also try to road bike as, a, as much of my commuting as I can do. And I also am not looking forward to the winter because I'm kind of a wimpy biker. Um, I, turkeys, no. There was one time when I came very close to a groundhog. Which is a lot slower probably than a turkey. But no, I, I, don't, I don't too often have to do evasive maneuvers. <laughs> <laughs> I did the Heimlich maneuver once, but that's a different, that's a story. That's a, that's a different that, that, by the way, is a great story for another time, uh, but a great story. <laughs> not, not on a turkey though. Uh, correct. Not on a turkey. On another priest. Mm. So there you go. It's a teaser. Another day. Is it? Uh, right. Another he owes, day. He but... owes you a life debt. <laughs> uh, quite literally. Yeah. It was terrifying. <laughs> I remember quite specifically, Andrew, where you told me that story. And I filed that away in uh, like the file cabinet of like funniest moments of my life. <laughs> but uh, how else are you doing, Andrew? Any, anything else? What's going on in your life? I'm good. So the church that I serve, uh, Jonah's Call, we just began meeting in person again mm -hmm. with all kinds of very strict uh, protocols and stipulations in place just this past week. And so this Sunday before last. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a new phase for us, reorienting to all of that. It was really good, really exciting just to see people's faces again and get to hear kids laugh in the mm. flesh and all of that. But also just, you know, super weird to only be doing that mediated through masks and, and at a distance. And we're not doing any singing at our, at our parish right now. So it's, 
it just feels weird um, to celebrate the Eucharist in a in a context that doesn't necessarily feel super celebratory right right, right now. But yeah, it was it's good. It's all positive positive stuff for sure. So that's kind that's of the big. That's wonderful. That's great. Andrew, yeah. what would you say the prevalent uh, emotion is? Like, I'm sure people are jittery, um, but uh, I, I'm sure that their gratitude and joy at being back together probably exceeds that. I think so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we were worried. I think my my biggest concern as a pastor is like, well, what about all the folks who just aren't ready to meet yet? Or, you know, we're in different places. Some people just aren't quite on the same page that thinking that this is responsible or others think it's fine and responsible, but for them specifically, you know, it doesn't, it's not the right fit for right now. So I'm really worried about them getting lost in the shuffle or falling through the cracks. And so it was really a pleasant thing to see that, you know, all of those folks were still tuning in online, at least, you know, for now, before it gets too boring, <laughs> they're still sort of tuning in. So that was a great encouragement to me. So there were, yeah, it was joyful, joyful day yeah. was definitely dominant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was interesting just what what I got from uh, as far as feedback from our people was um, just this desire to be back together. I mean, like just, it was, it was such a trial to be apart. And, and uh, so, so that that's, that's the overwhelming sense um, at, at the church that I serve. Yeah. Kirk, uh, before we started recording, uh, you, uh, you were giving, you were, you almost pulled a muscle patting yourself on the back, oh um, being proud of how mature and uh, you were at, at Daphne's soccer games. You weren't yelling for her to – would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you no, know, no. I was properly chastened for being called out last week. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, I reattached the shock collar, and, um, and I, 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 was, I was great. I was great. I'll post a video of me watching Daphne um, score a goal, knife through a couple defenders, and I not once hollered out um, intemperately or immoderately. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. This is this is good. Like, I mean, this is. I, I forget if I if I said this previously, but this is honestly why uh, why it's helpful for me in the past when, when I've coached. Why it's been helpful to coach. Um, that way, like when the urge to coach rises up, it's appropriate. I'm wearing the coaching shirt, right? Instead of being the lunatic from the sideline screaming stuff. So, and Do like, you, so what the listeners can't see right now, in addition to Christopher's beautiful spectacles, is Kirk is wearing a bow tie. Yeah. You, is this your normal dress for the sidelines? Okay. So I wear a tie Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then... <laughs> On Thursday, I wear a bow tie. This has been for at least a decade my routine. Bow tie Thursday, I call it. My students look forward to it. They're amused by it. Or maybe they just think I'm a ridiculous, baddie old man. Uh, but um, I, I, I always say, like, if you want to look good, you wear a tie. If you want to look really good, you wear a bow tie. And uh, the reason I celebrate Thursday, I read the study like a decade ago, that like everybody's looking forward to, to the weekend, right? This is part of adulthood where you realize like most of life is just sheer drudgery and like work is drudgery. And so you, be, you come to truly appreciate the weekend. And so um, it's just, uh, the weekend is sort of like Christmas morning, right? It's actually not as good as you hoped it was gonna be. So the happiest that, he, that, that people actually are in relation to the weekend is that anticipation actually on Thursday. 
Mm-hmm. You would think it would be even be Friday afternoon, but by Friday afternoon, it's the equivalent of like ripping open the presents, right? Thursday, it's the, the equivalent is you're looking at the presents under the tree and, and quivering with anticipation. That's what Thursday is, right? So I like, you can, art, did, did you feel it today, gentlemen? I always feel it on Thursday. I'm like, tomorrow's Friday. Tomorrow's Friday. Guess what, guys? Tomorrow's Friday. Tomorrow's Friday. And so I, I, I'm, I go casual on Friday. That's what our school does. So I celebrate Thursday with a bow tie. So how's that for a crackpot zany approach to sartorial habits? I love it. It's great. <laughs> it's, good. it's good. And and I do remember, oh, maybe a decade ago, uh, myself staying up a little bit later on Thursday in anticipation of, <laughs> of uh, that extra sleep on, on Saturday. But uh, my ability to function right. well on less sleep is diminishing year by year. <laughs> Right. I would say Thirsty Thursdays is for uh, the 20 year olds. <laughs> uh, that doesn't work so much anymore, does it? <laughs> Gentlemen, shall we move to the gospel? Let us. Let's move to the gospel. Today's gospel comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I've tried my, uh, in weeks past to give a, a snapshot of the context where we, uh, where a gospel reading lands, because that's pretty essential in understanding what it is that, that Matthew is trying to convey to us. And uh, this particular one, of course, is in Jerusalem, and particularly, uh, I believe he's, he's in the temple here, uh, and uh, he is, uh, he is this is um, the first of, of a few controversial parables, but it comes at the heels of uh, basically addressing the chief priests and the elders uh, and, and, and pointing out their hypocrisy. And, and I think there's a lot here. And so I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this than, um, because I think that, that Kirk and Andrew will fill in a little bit of, of just in um, Israel has, has not listened and has not been obedient. But I want to talk just a little bit about uh, the general 
theme we have here in Matthew um, of, of God looking at the heart, of God looking to what people do, um, that, that, that God wants uh, evidence of a changed heart rather than empty deeds. And what the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees are all about kind of empty, uh, kind of empty words and, and, uh, and kind of fulfilling the, the, the letter of the law while missing the spirit of the law. And, and that's what we have here is, is that we have one son uh, who at the beginning seems to be a little bit careless about uh, the authority of God and, and not going to do the thing that you say, but in the end does. And the other son says, yes, I, yes, I absolutely will do this. And then does not do this. And the imagery is, it could be clear that, that uh, everyone was willing to listen to John the Baptist. But when Jesus came as the fulfillment of, of you know, John the Baptist, the way he prepared the way of the Lord, when the Lord actually came, uh, they didn't want to listen to him. And uh, so uh, last week, we uh, and recently we've been talking about just the, the the wonderful and awesome grace of God that He welcomes tax collectors and sin, and this is just further evidence of that. And so I know that these are are very abbreviated comments, but I'm excited to hear what you boys have to say about this gospel reading. Well, I have a question from a layman's point of view for for both you two gentlemen. Um, the two sons is this is it common to see these as Jews and Gentiles? Um, that the that the son that said he would go and did not go, um, that was the people of Israel. Is it that that's not okay? No. Um, okay. I mean, and because in Jesus, Andrew's history, nodding. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Andrew could disagree with me, but like, <laughs> and, like we see Jesus um, talk about the like he's contrasting the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Um, so of of course there is a of of the the Jews sort of um i mean and we see this in jesus interaction with the canaanite woman um uh that um in fact he's kind of preparing the way for this gentile mission um and and talking about and and it's interesting throughout matthew how jesus points out the faith of people outside of 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 the um the roman centurion uh, so most of the time he, when he's criticizing faith, he's talking about either his disciples or Israel. Right. Um, and when he's praising faith, he's talking about people outside. Um, but uh, Andrew, go ahead and, and give your answer to this question. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, don't, I was <laughs> so I think, um, so it has historically been interpreted that way, Kirk, that you were just suggesting, where I think from Chris Austin onward, and I think most of the major magisterial reformers, at least I didn't look that up specifically, but I think, you know, Calvin and Luther and, the mainstream of that did see this as um, a, a sort of Gentile Jew thing, like the, you know, initially the people of God, um, you know, say yes, but then don't, you know, actually receive it. They, you know, they, they don't come even when they see the uh, more wayward brother receive it. So, you know, the Gentile, uh, they come late in the game, you know, they, they didn't, they weren't welcomed into the people of God until, you know, there was an obvious, um, welcome. They said no, no, no through all of history, and then finally they actually do it when the Lord comes. Which definitely from last week, where where we have the the people coming to work at five o'clock, um, and that's that's much more, uh, you know, where uh, the Jews have been like, well, we've been the covenant people forever, you know, exactly. you know, we Gentiles are Johnny Cablatleys. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think that is how it's been historically read. I actually agree with Christopher that I think um, within the context of Matthew, that's not necessarily what this parable is, is about. It seems to be kind of an in-house thing. Like he's talking to the, the temple folks, the people who hang out at the temple all day. Uh, this is in Jerusalem itself. So it, it does seem to be more a critique of um, responses within the people of God. So his audience is, uh, to clarify then, because you brought up an important point, this is a different audience than he would have been speaking to earlier in Matthew, which would have been a Galilean audience. This is a right. Jerusalem audience, right? This Correct. is his last, but if this is his final trip to Jerusalem. He's here. And um, so how does that, how should that change how we read this, Andrew? Yeah, well, so I think, like I said, it's kind of an in-house thing. He's speaking really to the people of God. Um, in the in the immediate context of chapter 21 and then kind of what happens in the rest of the story as Matthew tells it, it's this escalating thing where, um, so what happens immediately before, like, like Christopher reminded us, is uh, Jesus's authorities being challenged. They're saying, you know, but by what right do you have to teach and do all the stuff you're doing here in the temple? And Jesus says, uh, well, if you tell me by whose authority John the Baptist did all the stuff that John the Baptist did, then I'll tell you. <laughs> and of course, John the Baptist was a popular enough guy. He kind of had, even the Pharisees were going out to see what, what he was up to and being baptized by him earlier in the gospel. And so no one's willing to, to say negative things about John the Baptist. Um, so they don't, they don't know what to say when Jesus puts the question that way to them. They say, if we say John the Baptist is from heaven, then they'll say, why didn't you believe him when he said that I'm the guy you should listen to? <laughs> Uh, and if we say he's not from heaven, if we just say he's, he's another man, um, we know that the crowd will lose their minds because at the very least, John was obviously a prophet. Um, so they don't say anything to Jesus. And he says, well, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing things either. And then he tells this parable of the two sons, um, which is, seems clearly to be about John the Baptist because the way he, he wraps it up, it says, you know, even when, when you saw what John the Baptist was saying. And then even when you saw people coming to him, you didn't change your minds and believe John the Baptist. Um, so it's a John the Baptist thing. Um, why didn't you listen to John the Baptist? But then it escalates. Jesus will turn around right after this and tell another parable about tenants and, and a kind of working in a vineyard and a master sending servants to collect the income. And finally he sends his son and they, they murdered the son and the master uh, puts them to death. And so there's this escalation of, you know, John the Baptist, and then Jesus tells a parable about, the John, about John the Baptist. And then right after that, Jesus tells a parable about himself, really, about the son coming to meet the, the tenants, the, the people of the vineyard, which is an ancient reference for the people of Israel. Um, and, then, so, and then the real life event of that will happen in the rest of the story of, of Matthew's gospel. So the real life event of John the Baptist happens, then Jesus tells a parable about it. Then Jesus tells a parable about himself and how he will not be received. And then the real life story of that happens uh, thereafter. So it's kind of this like bookended flow of, of parables as, as Jesus tells it. Yeah, we'll get, uh, I'm looking next week, we'll get that parable of the tenants um, in, the, in the vineyard. So, so that, that we'll get next week. So we'll get to take a closer look at that. And then I'm trying to trying to see if the following week, because there's a, the parable that opens chapter 22 seems to me to be, uh, and maybe we'll take, we'll take a closer look at that when, when we come across it, because that'll be, we'll get that on October 11th. Um, but that seems to be almost told 
because maybe the audience wasn't understanding the parable of the two sons. That's the wedding feast where the invited guests don't come. So he's like, you know what? Just go in the streets, whoever you see, invite, invite whoever you see and whoever it is. Go into the roads and byways. Um, invite as many as you can. Um, and that seems to be like, uh, um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I, got, I got distracted by something. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is clear that, that God has, has a special place for Israel that, you know, we see the language um, uh, of, of for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. Right. That, that God, you know, both in, in the ministry of Jesus, um, but even in, in Paul's ministry, like he would first go to the synagogue um, and then to kind of to, to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, we see this pattern um, that they, that this is good news for all creation, that, 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 uh, that the hope is for all to come in, um, come to know the Lord. Um, and so like the, this parable of the wedding feast is, is yeah. Okay. Th- there, there are some who will not choose and, and uh will therefore um, feel a little bit left out when, when the invitation goes beyond them. So this is really interesting. Um, this theme that we're talking about right now, the chosenness of the Jews, um, their, uh, their, their disobedience and drifting from God and the expansion to the Gentiles. Um, because of course, we've been going through Romans as well um, this summer. That just, that just mm-hmm. ended. And the great climax of Romans is Paul trying to peer into this mix, mystery of, of, of God's um, un, unbreaking and uh, unbroken covenant with Israel, um, and yet the expansion of that um, to the Gentiles, and yet somehow how that is to the glory of Israel and how Israel will be, um, will be, uh, will be brought back. Uh, and so um, St. Paul has this summer peered mystically into that, um, but these parables seem to be um, kind of, uh, you know, Math- Matthew, uh, Matthew is, um, I guess, less... Um, He's less uh, pastoral to to the Jewish audience than maybe uh, Paul is, where Paul says, mm. uh, um, "God does not despise the the, the root; do not uh, the, the branches do not say to the root." Um, whereas uh, Matthew has uh, um, Jews chant outside. Is it is it um, mm. Herod's palace or outside uh, Pilate's palace? Um, let his blood be upon us and on our right. So so Matthew is a, a little bit more um, more harsh in terms of. Um, uh, the fact that that uh, the Jews of his day had rejected the Messiah, and it's often seen. So Matthew's gospel is often called, you know, the the most churchly gospel. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most kind of aware of the reality of the, the corporate people of God. Certainly, historically, as as a as the Jewish nation, but then um, you know, knowing that this was recorded and written down long after you know, the, the church had taken a Gentile trajectory and you can see hints of that throughout the gospel of Matthew. Um, but it is interesting because if, if you read it from that zoomed out perspective, like this is someone who's yes, writing about the Jewish people and not always in the, the gentlest terms. Um, but if you zoom out and realize what, what he's saying is really to the people of God, it becomes a critique of the, the church as a whole, the Gentile church as well as the kind of fulfilled Israel or as the the full people of God, um, everything that he would say about the Jewish people would, would certainly be extended to the church as a whole, I think, at least in its, in its metaphorical way, uh, because yeah. Matthew's telling that story on purpose. Yeah, and I mean, that's pastorally how we read the gospel of Matthew, isn't it? Like we read it as if it's written to us. 
and that that I mean that's that's proper, isn't that, guys? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, I mean it's it's recorded to be handed down to the church. Um, yeah, whether that means every word is addressed to us is an interesting question hermeneutically, but certainly it's given to us as a book to read ourselves into. Well, for, well, for example, certainly any, certainly any command extends to us. Certainly, for example, well, okay, so for example, one of the most beloved passages of Matthew, the Beatitudes, right, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we read that and our heart sings, right, because there have been times where we've been broken, brokenhearted or downtrodden or we've been them that mourn, right? And it is, it's good to know that, that we live in a, a spiritual economy where we are blessed um, in that mourning, right? In that brokenheartedness, all, the, all those things. So, I mean, that's, that's proper to read Matthew's gospel in that way, right? Yeah. yeah and absolutely. absolutely. So this parable, especially, yeah, when you, when you kind of take those, put those spectacles on, as <laughs> currently wears now. Um, so you read this parable and it's, um, it becomes a pointed critique of any listener. You know, are you, are you someone who is saying, yeah, 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 I'm listening. And you're clearly not. And that's obviously evidenced by, by your life. Um, or are you someone who is like not always, you know, paying attention or quickest on the update, but when, when you hear that word, that word from the Lord, like, are you, are you one who would respond and repent and kind of continually come back? Um, because you're someone who needs it. You're a tax collector or you're a prostitute or you're someone who um, it's not difficult to, to understand quickly why you would need repentance. And Kirk, so your, your kind of question that you asked that sparked this discussion was, is this addressed to us? And, and I mean, anytime I encounter a scripture, I, I think the first thing I want to do is, is to identify the author and the audience and immediately say like well, well what does like what did it mean to them um and 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 once we establish kind of what it meant to the original audience i think then i think the second thing that i like to do um is is to turn then and say well what does this mean for me and and so i i, I guess i was a little bit slow in, in responding simply because um like that's the first thing that i want to do is say like well, well what what does it mean what did it mean then Mm. Um, because of course there's a meeting for, uh, for us. Um, um, but like if we read an epistle, I mean, this was a letter, um, and, and many of these, uh, were, um, supposed to be circulated among the churches. And we see that even in the epistle, like, you know, you know, send this letter on to this right. other church. Um, and, but like a lot of these things meant very specific things in their day, but then they have eternal things for all Christians in all time. And, and I think the same thing, um, uh, you know, with Matthew, um, but any, certainly any promise of, of like Jesus for his people, that's directed at us. Yeah. And then we find ourselves in, in the parables. And, and I think you pointed out last week, just like that sometimes uh, we, it, it takes some thought to put ourselves in the right place in the parable. You, Kirk, you mentioned uh, the parable of the prodigal son that, mm -hmm. Um, oftentimes we see ourselves as the older brother. Um, and in that case, um, really the older brother was the Pharisee right. and we, the rest of us are, are the younger brother who's welcomed in grace. Um, and, and I, so I think that takes some, some kind of discernment. It takes the Holy spirit to kind of help guide us, but also like the, the received wisdom uh, that, that we have received from the church in kind of helping us to, uh, say like 
who is this directed at? Um, what does this mean for us? You know, especially as we get into the, to the epistles where, you know, women are asked in first Corinthians to cover their heads and, you know, is this, yeah. is this an eternal uh, command to all women to never enter a church building uh, without their head covered? Um, so let, let me just make a comment. I wonder if there's something autobiographical going on here with these series of th this, this thread, this common thread through these series of parables and pericopes here. As Matthew reaches, as Jesus reaches Jerusalem in Kirk, Matthew's gospel, Kirk, what's yes. a, what's a pericope? Uh, I, 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 hey, seminary trained people, what's a pericope? <laughs> no, no, Kirk, we, you know we, we endeavor to, um, to try to de demystify. Yes, yes. So if, when we catch ourselves using a phrase that, that may not be uh, a pericope, is is simply a, a small passage um, yeah. that, that can kind of be separated out. Uh, yes, it's a fancy fancy way of saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. The, so, I mean, all, all the Gospels, um, when, when, kind of when you read commentaries, you'll, you'll begin to notice. When you, you don't need to read commentaries. When you read the Gospels, you'll mm -hmm. notice that they are in bite-sized forms, right? Um, most passages are in eight to ten verses max. Um, you'll have an episode. They're very episodic, we might say. And so that's, I don't know what the word pericope means in Greek, but I, 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 I hear... <laughs> I hear gospel trained gospel scholars talk about it. And so I've just, I think if I remember right, it. so don't quote me on this, but I think <laughs> I remember um, that it's, 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 it's like the word for a pearl. So you have like, oh. you have like a pearl, you have a pearl necklace. Pricky is like one of those pearls. So you can, it's not the whole necklace. You need to have the whole thing, but you can, you could look at individual pearls at the time. Don't again, don't quote me on that, but I remember so similarly, the way we say nugget, like I, just, yeah. like, I got a nugget, like a nugget of wisdom or something like that. Oh, or a scene. I, I often refer to them as like a scene. So you can, a scene. Yeah. And scene. I like the, I like the idea of a nugget though. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of like a 20 piece. Nugget. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you remember when we could eat 20 piece nuggets? Those were great. All right. So the, the common thread through these, um, these passages in uh, chapters 21 and 22 yeah, um, is, uh, is, is, is the called ones not responding, right? And then those unworthy, those uncalled, um, responding. And, and whether that's exactly are... it. Th think about the wedding feast. Like, <laughs> yeah. the ones who were invited didn't come. So they went out in the streets and they found the get found guests, right? right? And we yeah. have this here with the two sons. The one who said he wasn't going to come is the one who ended up coming. Yeah. And for some reason, what and... comes to mind is, is, um, uh, you know, when Jesus said, like, I could raise up for myself followers. Yeah, sons of Abraham yeah. from these rocks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, what was previously? Oh, the, the, um, the workers, the, the laborers, the day laborers. Mm -hmm. um, you have those who, those who did come in the end. And, um, and by virtue of, in, in the end, showing up and doing some amount of labor, uh, they're rewarded. So, so I, the, the common thread, I wonder if there's something autobiographical, and this may be, we may be too far mm. out over our skis, mm. but I've been watching The Chosen, um, do you guys know about this? Uh, this is very I know about it. I haven't watched it. It's put the largest crowdfunded um, uh, miniseries ever. Uh, it's uh, interesting. Not Tim LaHaye. Who's the other guy that wrote the, the Left Behind? Tim LaHaye and someone, someone. Jenkins? Was it? Jenkins, yes. He had a son named Dallas Jenkins who's organized this. And, and it's, it's really high quality. Uh, guys, it's, um, it's three notches above kind of the Christian pop culture stuff that was churned out in our childhoods in the 80s and 90s. Very good. Anyhow, um, it's free. Uh, it, there have been like patrons that have, that have made it available through the app. So if you get the chosen, just go to that and, app. And it's on the essentially app like episodic. 
yes. gospels, right? Yes. That, that, and like, any- they endeavor to tell the story of Jesus. And I think they're, they're yeah. like the, the elevator pitch is like binge on Jesus. So, you know, everyone binges on Netflix and they're like, right. well, well, like this is, this is a way to watch the story on TV. Yeah. And one of the arresting characters that really has arrested me, and then maybe it's because in year A, we go through Matthew. And so our face is pressed up against the glass of Matthew's view on uh, first century Judea. But man, Matthew is so compellingly portrayed there. And I have not yet gotten to the point where he pivots and he is despicable. And he even hates himself. Um, He's so well-dressed. He lives in a great apartment. Um, and um, the, Roman, the Romans who are paid to guard him against the Jews who despise him. Matthew was a tax collector, listener, um, which made him one of the most hated people uh, in Judea. And, uh, and so he has money, right? Because he's skimming off the top, which is that's how tax collectors made their, made their money. So it was, uh, the Romans didn't care how much they skimmed, right? Um, so if you could deal with the abuse of your own people, then you dealt with it. And so you see um, and Sabbath, He's not even, you see all the poor people are even, they come and they have, they have their Sabbath uh, dinner with their families and he's just eating with his dog. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But so uh, I I think of Matthew as one who is called and comes late, but when he comes, he does come and he gets his reward. Uh, And so there's something beautiful as we're reading these parables in verse 21 and 22 of all the teachings that Jesus taught. And he taught many, we read this in, in John, what John 20, John 21. If, um, if a record of all the, all his signs and wonders were, 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 were taught, we, there wouldn't be enough books to, to house them. Right. These are the ones that Matthew chose. And it's interesting. Why did he chose, why did he choose these of the late comers to the, it's, mm. I wonder if there's something autobiographical there. Like, listen. Well, I'm specifically <laughs> here. It's a parable about tax collectors. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. So beautiful. Matthew. Well, like, th- th- think about a tax collector <laughs> writing that to say even tax collectors, you know, would be, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that was just my observation. That's it. I, I love that possibility. Because I think I was looking back um, earlier and I, I know at least in Matthew and Mark, now, Matthew is not chosen with like the first batch. Right. You know, you get Andrew and Peter and the brothers and James and John, but then Matthew's always in kind of like a second wave of right. disciple recruitment. And you wonder, I mean, is that, is that part of what's going on here? You know, he heard it and then he really needed, somebody really needed Jesus really needed to come <laughs> after him before he got on board or what was that like? Cause he's never the first, he's never part of the first group. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wonder, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun thing to think about and, and speculate. It, uh, Andrew, we've had you on. Um, any, any final thoughts on this before we pivot to our theology segment? I don't think so. No, I mean, it'd be worth uh, comparing this with, I, I'm always intrigued by how the church has paired uh, the gospel lessons with the Old Testament lessons. And so um, if a listener wanted to look up Ezekiel chapter 18, um, that's the Old Testament lesson that's paired with this parable of Matthews. And um, it's, a, it's a very interesting, illuminating pairing, I think. Ezekiel 18 talks about uh, the sins of fathers not being visited upon sons and each person kind of standing uh, in some sense alone before God and um, being responsible as, as individuals. And yet, um, obviously, the that's not a that's not an unqualified statement. I mean, it's it is the whole people of God that are in exile when Ezekiel's writing um, and receiving such messages. So they are uh, suffering from corporate uh, ramifications to their decision making. So it's just it's an interesting question to put in parallel with 
with these questions of um, you know, individual decision and how late you come and uh, you know how how late in the game repentance happens doesn't matter so long as it happens um, but that there also seems to be a some point along the line there where it's not possible anymore mm. but when that is no one knows exactly and it becomes a kind of a mysterious thing where where in ezekiel there the people cry out god is unjust because this is inscrutable you know you can't you can't parse out how exactly it is that uh, you know father's sins aren't visited upon a son when they clearly are in some sense and if we're all responsible before god alone then who could who could stand who could abide it as the psalmist says so yeah read ezekiel 18 that's yeah. all i would have to say we'll uh, we'll link that in the in the show notes gentlemen let's move on to theology Next week, uh, we have a major holiday on, on the Christian calendar coming up. And uh, I, I, I'm fairly certain that this is a holiday that in any parish that I've been a part of, we've never actually either A, had the opportunity to celebrate or B, actually celebrated. And yet it historically has been uh, really enormous. And that is September 29th is Holy Michael and All Angels. Um, or if you have old enough church calendars or old enough church prayer books, it'll just simply be called Michael Mass, like Christmas was shortened into Christmas. Uh, and um, this has uh, several, there are several, several things that we celebrate um, when we celebrate this holiday. Um, on the Feast of Michael and All Angels, uh, first, I think we give thanks for the many ways in which God's loving care watches over us. Uh, both directly and indirectly, um, and directly in, in terms of his Holy Spirit and indirectly via his angels. And we are reminded that the richness and variety, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, of God's creation far exceeds our knowledge of it. Um, before we began recording, we were just marveling at um, just kind of the mystery of angels. We're just given hints and glimmers uh, tantalizing hints and glimmers uh, in, in the biblical texts 
and we will we'll talk about that a little bit. So what are we told about angels? Well, we know read from Luke 15 that angels rejoice over repentant sinners. And uh, we, as, as, as good gospel evangelicals, we, we, that, that stirs our hearts that all the, all the angels in heaven would rejoice over repentant sinners. We also read in the Hebrew scriptures that they're messengers of God, um, that they bring God's messages both for good news and for judgment. Um, and uh, there, are, there are several angel names that occur in scripture. First of all, Michael, Michael Mass, my holy Michael and all angels. And um, we read in Revelation chapter 12 that he is the one who uh, is the captain of the armies of heaven who hurls Satan into the lake of fire. Um, in Jude 9, there's this really, I, dare I say, weird passage where he, he is said to have disputed with Satan over the body of Moses. And I don't know if any of you want to touch that later. Um, Michael's name also appears three times in Daniel as the one who will arise at the time of the end. Then we read about Gabriel, um, whose name in Hebrew, I gather, means God is my champion. He's the bearer of messages from God to humans. Um, he appears in Daniel twice as an explainer of some of Daniel's vision. In Luke chapter 1, he is one of the principal figures. Um, he announces the forthcoming births of John the Baptist to Zechariah and of our Lord to the Virgin Mary. And then we get into some of the more shadowy and mystical creatures. There are two more angels that appear in the Apocrypha. Raphael, um, whose name means, I guess, God heals. And I don't know Hebrew, so I'm, I'm open to correction from both listener or Andrew or Christopher. He's mentioned in the book of Tobit, where disguised as a man, he accompanies the, a young man, Tobias, on a quest and enables him to accomplish it and gives him a remedy for blindness of uh, Tobias's father. And then we finally, we have Uriel, um, whose name means, God means light. And he's mentioned in another book, um, in Esdras, in uh, the Apocrypha. And those are the angels whose names are mentioned, and that's it. Um, and uh, I, 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 don't, I am not uh, the clergy here, so I wanna leave most of this to Andrew and Christopher. But that is, uh, those are angels as we encounter them in the Bible. And of course, humans, we've been fascinated by them because they're these heavenly beings who just are casually mentioned as an aside, like, of course, you'd know about this. Meanwhile, let's move on to the rest of the story. <laughs> and I think for Christians, we've remained fascinated by them ever since. Um, so, gentlemen, what are we to make of angels? Well, if I could um, tack on just a little bit more to kind of the biblical witness about angels and who they are. I want to point yeah. to um, to Psalm eight verse five. We um, Psalm eight. Uh, the psalmist is kind of contemplating who is man that 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 God is mindful of him, and we're told in 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 verse five of of Psalm eight that human beings are a little lower than the heavenly beings. Um, so as as we kind of consider the the hierarchy of things, um, and um, M Michael Horton in his um, in his uh, the Christian faith in his systematic theology um, talks about uh, how scripture. Um, so, so angels are considered non-corporeal, um, uh, you know, so, so these kind of spirit things, um, but, but they are created that, that we don't, that scripture, the bigger distinction that scripture makes isn't between um, spiritual and corporeal, like body and spirit, but in fact, the, the distinction that scripture makes is between um, creator and created. 
And so um, both we and both we humanity and angels of all sorts are, are in fact created. And so like, these are not things that we worship. And in fact, in fact, the, the apostle Paul warns um, in the book of Colossians that there's some sect there that he's warning about um, oh, yeah. this particularly aesthetics um, uh, sect that uh, is, is actually uh, worshiping angels. And he's in, and uh, actually, I think I wrote this verse down, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels um, going on about de- in detail about visions puffed up with, without reason by a sensuous mind. We know that there are many, 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 many angels. Uh, Revelation 5.11 talks about there are thousands and thousands of them. Um, uh, then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of scripture is Isaiah 6, where we get a, a snapshot of heaven. We yes. get a glimpse of what heaven looks like. And talk about the distinction between creator and created. Um, these heavenly beings that are, that are, I would imagine, pretty fearsome. Uh, of course, when angels appear, uh, oftentimes one of the, some of the first things they say is, you know, don't be afraid. Um, I, and so I wonder this depiction from Isaiah 6 of cherubim and seraphim uh, seem rather terrifying. And I'm just going to read the first six verses in, in their entirety. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Uh, and I'll just keep reading. Um, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So we, we get a depiction of, of both um, cherubim and seraphim uh, and 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 also the holiness of God, so brilliant that even these, these heavenly beings have to shade their eyes and their feet um, f- from, from the Lord. Um, and uh, I thought I had something else. Oh, I, I was just going to mention uh, how in, in Catholic thought um, that, that uh, it's interesting um, that, that they have a fully defined hierarchy of angels and how in, our, uh, when we do a service of Holy Communion, um, we have a part uh, called the Sursum Corda. The Sursum Corda, uh, where at the beginning, we lift our hearts up to the Lord. And then um, right before we say a preface uh, for, for that day, um, I'm sorry, right after, um, the priest says, and we join our voices uh, with, jo- joining our voice with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. So in, in this particular uh, part of our service we reference angels and archangels and that and if you ever wondered where that came from i've heard before i've never actually gone through the highlighter in the prayer book but i've heard other people say that 80 percent of the prayer book is scripture and um so if you wonder where some of the stuff comes from um th- that particular part of our 
uh, prayer book comes from Isaiah chapter six. Um, we join our voices with heaven. And that's a, that's a beautiful uh, and neat thing to think that um, would we uh, celebrate Holy Communion, that, that we are singing the song that's being sung in heaven and around the earth and throughout the ages. Oh, and I was going to say in the hierarchy, it's interesting that angels and archangels are at the bottom of the hierarchy. Um, right. The hierarchy uh, in, in Catholic thought goes like this, um, that uh, angels are at the bottom. So from the bottom going up, angels and then archangels and then principalities and powers and virtues and dominions and then thrones and cherubim and then seraphim at the top. Andrew, you had mentioned one of your favorite hymns uh, really um, kind of addresses joining, uh, joining the angels in, in worshiping. You want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, sure. So Ye Watchers and Ye Holy Ones is the hymn that Kirk was referring to, which lists actually all of those types yeah. of, of angels that Christopher <laughs> just elaborated, um, most of which are taken from St. Paul's language, uh, which is kind of cryptic, but talking about dominions and powers and principalities and um, these, these sort of agents at work in the creation that are not seen and that are just kind of... Um, mystical or, or angelic in some sense. But yeah, Ye Watchers and Ye Holy Ones is this um, great hymn uh, that, that sort of calls us to join our voices with all of these choirs of, of angels. That's what they're called in Catholic art, these, uh, these nine different choirs or kind of groups of, of types of angels. Um, but Ye Watchers and Ye Holy Ones, bright seraphs and cherubim and thrones um, raise the glad strain and we all cry hallelujah with them. Um, and then he says, cry out dominions and princedoms and powers, virtues and archangels and all the angels choirs. Um, and what I love about the hymn, is, I mean, so it starts with the angels, which are these incredible beings, which uh, we have to be told not to worship because we'd probably be very likely to worship them, right? <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. um, it's not like a weird thing that people would be prone to worship uh, these sorts of, of creatures if they're encountered. Um, and they start the hymn off, but then it actually uh, it is kind of in an, in an ascending way that those are actually the, the, the lower beings. And the next verse is actually about uh, the Virgin Mary and us joining our voice with hers as she, as she leads the, the people of God in their praises, um, who is more glorious than all the seraphim and higher than the cherubim, um, the bearer of the eternal word. So we join our voices with her. Um, and then all the souls in their, in their rest, all the patriarchs and the prophets, um, all of the, the martyrs and all the saints, um, the whole church joins with all of them in, in singing praise to the Trinity. So they become these beings who are really emblematic of, of worship. Um, like Christopher was saying, that, that where, where we really see them at work in the scriptures is twofold. One, as messengers, which Kirk, Kirk mentioned, I can say a word about that in a second if, um, if you want, but the second is just as these leaders of worship, the people that they're just created simply to surround the throne of God um, and do what all creation is meant to do, uh, they do explicitly forever, which is just cry out holy and, and praise to the Lord. So, yeah, I love angels. I've actually found in my, in my Christian life as I've gotten older, I've, I've, I've been more um, keen on the idea of angels or of I found them a more compelling piece of our, our theological heritage to believe that there are um, angels and that there are a lot of them. I think it's been a, um, a really helpful thing for me in just kind of having a more spirited view of the world 
that not that we can tease it out or know exactly what angels are under what rocks or anything like that, but to know that um, that they are there. That this world is far more than just kind of the the mundane material that we're we're working with, but there's a lot more going on under the surface um, or above the surface than than we usually give credit for. Um, Andrew, you said uh, uh, you'd have you had more to say about angels as messengers. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, that, that is just what the word angel means, just means messenger. And so there's a lot of times in the scriptures where it's, it's unclear whether the quote messenger is, uh, is an angel in our normal sense of like a, an incorporeal being that, that has some mystery to it, or whether it's just a messenger, it's just a, a guy bringing a message. Sometimes that's all the word angel means is a person bringing a message. Um, but that's really the heart of what it, what it means. And so we get the word evangelical. I, the church that I used to work for, they would, they would refer to Anglicans as Angelicans, which is not at all a, a, a cognate term. Right. Anglicans, uh, Anglicans has nothing to do with angels. There's no such thing as an Angelican, but evangelical does. So the, the term evangelical does share the, the word angel and it just, the euangel, the euangelion is just the good message. Um, and so an, an evangelical is just a good messenger, a good angel um, is what is all that evangelical actually means is a, a good angel, a good, a good messenger, someone who brings good news. Um, and so I would say when I, whenever I think about angels, that's, that's my default um, way of explaining it to, to people is that it really has to do with um, mediation with a, with a message uh, you know, it talks about the, the covenant in the Old Testament being mediated to Moses by angels, which is kind of a weird thing to, to picture. But there's this sense in which, um, you know, something has to uh, convey God's voice to us. So we get the angel of the Lord or the angel of Yahweh shows up over and over again in the Old Testament. And it's often a blurred line with where we can't tell, is this actually God or is this like an angel or representative of God? And it's it's all at once the same thing in many of those passages in in Exodus and other places in the Old Testament. Um, so yeah, they're, they're mediators or they're messengers. There's ones who bring to us uh, a message from God, um, which is why in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, if you go look at the first chapter of Hebrews, um, the first thing that the writer to the Hebrews seems to find necessary in his argument is to point out the fact that Jesus is a better mediator mm. because we've had some really impressive mediators. We've had Gabriel, we've had, uh, these beings that make people want to fall on the floor and worship them. And the writers, the Hebrews first major point is that's all great, but Jesus is better than the angels. Like, Jesus is a, a greater um, mediator of, of an eternal covenant. So he's, yes, God says he makes his angels, he makes his ministers um, flames of fire and they serve God's people, but only to the son has he said, sit at my right hand and I will make um, you know, the creation your, your footstool. Um, so can I, yeah, go. Can I ask you a couple of fun questions? Do it. <laughs> okay. Um, are angels among us? Like right now? Yeah. Probably. Probably. Right. It's kind of creepy, but they're probably <laughs> here. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how to think and pray about angels in that way. Um, yeah. So there's uh, what, what's the passage is, is it a Matthew or Luke where um, uh, it's alleged that, I had, I had the passage up. It's alleged that um, uh, 
there's a there's a unique uniquely awful sin to um, being cruel cruelty to children because their angels see the face of God. In Matthew, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Matthew. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the sense where angels are again, kind of almost mediating or or somehow um, ministering on behalf of children in. Yeah. The heavens which is a strange yeah again it's very cryptic um no one knows exactly what that means but yeah there seems to be this interactivity between angels and the lives of of people perhaps especially the vulnerable i don't know yeah, yeah i mean there's yeah. there's a great tradition of you know guardian angels of people yeah. need guarding and, and the angels somehow attach to people in a in a guarding way i don't see that spelled out in detail in the scriptures although um certainly we do see angels fighting for us. I mean, Michael is the great kind of warrior on behalf of the people of God in the book of Daniel. It's, um, it's, you know, Michael's called quote, your prince or your angel, um, to Daniel and the people of God. Whereas, you know, the, the Persians, they have their own angel, which is not a, a favorable one to the, to the Jewish people or the, the prince of Greece or the angel of Greece. So apparently the Greek people have their own angel and these angels are doing battle with each other somehow in parallel with the, the human armies that are doing battle with each other in Persia and Greece and, and among the Jewish people. So it's really weird stuff that you can't tease <laughs> out, but, it, but it's there. And yeah. certainly those who have received the revelation you know, that, that we have recorded for us in scripture, they they've peered into some of these mysteries, I guess, or they've, they've had some of them revealed to them. And so, yeah, they're among us. I mean, certainly the writer to the Hebrews, again, Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, like has some, some pretty uh, kind of hangups with angel. They really like to think about angels a lot. Yeah. That, there in that book too, it says, you know, that we should be careful about being hospitable because in our hospitality, some of us right. are, are entertaining angels and we don't even know it. Um, and what exactly that, does that mean like, some human beings are angels or or being tricked, or does it mean, does it just mean messenger in that sense? Is he saying that some, some people who bear the good news of the gospel are such important messengers that they should be understood as angels? Or is he saying that as we entertain people, we are somehow entertaining in parallel their, you know, their angels or the angels that attend them? Like who knows exactly what was in his mind, but somehow it's the sense of there are angels among us, it's a spirited world. All right, next question. Um, okay, okay. Go ahead, go I, ahead, Christopher. Yes. I, so, that's a, Kirk, that's a really interesting question, and, and Andrew had a really, really interesting answer. Uh, it, it's, it's curious how we, as we discuss uh, God's revelation to us, um, end up kind of explaining so often two things which seem very different but are both true. And there's kind of like an intersection of the two. So God is both just and merciful. Right. Um, and, and so th- we kind of hold these kind of ideas in, in tension, many things we could say probably 20 things that, 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 that are both true and, and seem to be, um, that seem to be maybe at odds with each other. And, and I think there's a robust, theology of God working with ordinary means. Uh, and, you know, one of my favorite sermon illustrations uh, is, is the story of, of the person who prayed to God um, in the middle of a flood um, for, uh, for deliverance. And um, so they're on top of their house and the floodwaters are rising and, and they pray to God and God says, yeah, you know, I'm going to send you, um, or I'm, I'm going to, actually God doesn't respond, but they pray to God for, for help. And um, like a person, 
drives up in a boat and, and the person says, no, God's going to save me. And, and, and doesn't take the help from the boat. Um, uh, and then sends another person in a canoe. The person says, no, God's going to save me. And then sends finally a helicopter. Uh, the person dies, goes to heaven and is like, God, you know, where were you? And God's like, I sent you a, a boat, a canoe and, and a helicopter. And, and that's an illustration that, that kind of is, uh, shows that God works so frequently through ordinary means. Uh, and uh, th this is a good message to, to share with the church is that like the way that God, um, you know, this is where we see like the hands and feet of Jesus. We see that language is that like the way that God um, feeds the hungry is through God's people. The way that God's mercy is often uh, born out in the world is is through the mercy of of His people. You know, all the hospitals that have been started by Christians throughout all the ages, all those things. Um, and yet, so so I think that's really good to talk about that and teach that. But then I think through your question and through Andrew's answer, we kind of introduced also that God like does use other means, but that th these are probably more special um, um, circumstances, or may or maybe not. I just, I just think it's interesting that, that so often um, I find myself emphasizing the ordinary means that God uses while um, what we've been talking about is these extraordinary means yeah. of these spiritual beings. So uh, that, that stuck out to me. I don't know if that's a significant point for you guys. Yeah, I think there, so I find myself, maybe this is partly why I've like, just been more curious about angels as I've gotten older um, in my faith, which is a weird curiosity because it's not satisfying. Yeah. Like you can't just go yeah. learn about them. It's just right. an intriguing thought to me. Um, but it, it has to do with the way I've understood prayer as I've gotten older, as this, this very real participation in what's going on that's unseen or that's, mm. that's not um, corporeal, you know, that, that what we do when we pray actually is, activity like it actually does matter we're doing things we're shifting the heavenly bodies we're we're kind of doing stuff um, in the unseen world and that that's like that's the world of angels or that's kind of where when we say we proclaim the gospel certainly we proclaim it to human ears and that's the point of it but saint paul seems to think that as the gospel is proclaimed it's also proclaimed to the heavenlies you know that the the principalities and the powers and the angels themselves hear what's proclaimed by the church and it it matters, you know, that they, that changes things or that they, um, they rule differently. You know, if they're often understood to be rulers uh, on behalf of God, they, they do that differently when they hear the gospel or when they hear the voice of, of the church. So it's just that, yeah, for, for me, it becomes this, this interesting blend of ordinary and extraordinary or natural yeah. and supernatural. Like those, those words almost start to lose meaning. What the, what's the difference between ordinary and extraordinary or natural and supernatural? Right. right. I mean, it, oftentimes the language is used of we this these are the shadows or the, we see in types and shadows um i think i think we'll discover the angels are a lot more quote real in some ways than this this world we live in now andrew thank you thank you for being on with us next time that we have you on i can ask you the real questions like <laughs> um what are the nephilim <laughs> and, oh boy <laughs> <laughs> but we should probably uh, end in prayer. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about Lucifer, the fallen angel. Oh man, yeah. I want to so talk about Paradise Lost so much, but Andrew and I both both have our egg timer is about to go off. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about this, Kirk. Is Andrew going to lead us in prayer? Well, Andrew, would you? Sure, I'd be happy to. We just I've got these kind of collects in front of us. Is this is what we? Used to close our time? Yeah. Yes.
Awesome. Yeah. Well, the Lord be with you. And with your, and spirit. With your spirit. Let us pray. O merciful Lord, grant to your faithful people pardon and peace that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. To Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. This is the collect for um, Holy Michael and all angels. Everlasting God, you have ordained and constituted in a wonderful order the ministries of angels and mortals. Mercifully grant that as your holy angels always serve and worship you in heaven, so by your appointment they may help and defend us here on earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Enlighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord. By your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. To the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. It is such a delight to talk to you. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks, Andrew. Christopher, next week. Next week. Um,